SEP Fanfic Readings presents Measure of a Man by In a Daze 22 Chapter 25 Trouble August 3rd, 2011 Trouble never slept. It lingered out of sight, making itself known slowly, then all at once. In Hermione's vegetable garden, wilt and yellowing leaves were usually the first sign of Trouble's arrival. A normal occurrence, it could be corrected with more, or less, attention in the form of water, or light, or time. But sometimes, trouble started out of sight, at the roots. The first sign was already too late. The same concept applied to people, to Scorpius. Hindsight was a course Hermione took, and the current lesson began a little over a week ago, in the form of a pause during a sign language session, when the little boy cast a frowning glance at his hands, and the two fingers he absently tapped together. Like all his other moody moments, she smoothed it away with a thumb. A small smile had been offered in return, but it hadn't reached his eyes. Not uncommon, but now Hermione knew the look's name. Trouble. Days passed and more signs appeared. Scattered concentration, distant looks, swelling frustration. A haunting sadness settled over Scorpius like a mist, visible yet uncatchable. It dimmed the light in his eyes, depleted his energy, and made him cling to anything. The cactus, her, Draco, even Catherine. And four days ago, when Hermione found him hiding under the covers in her guest room while he was supposed to be in lessons, she joined him, accepting the reality that Trouble was here to stay until they figured out the route. Like any gardener would, Hermione cultivated the rough patches and paid close attention, looking for any signs of spreading— she spent a little more time tending to him, but instead of tackling the problem on her own, she reached for outside help. Catherine monitored him during lessons, Narcissa suspended her efforts for closeness, and Draco remained present, keeping their routine and bond stable, which ended in a lot of moments with little feet tucked under his father's leg. In the late hours, they discussed suspicions and solutions for the change in Scorpius's mood, but neither had concrete ideas but he got worse. Subtle trouble became obvious when his mood browned. He stopped smiling or responding to Draco's promise of tomorrow, and was visibly anxious as his cry for help grew louder. Hermione was at a loss. She tried to talk to him and comfort him, but it was hard not knowing what was wrong. Scorpius's mood infected those around him. Draco reverted back to uncertainty, all growing confidence smothered. She mourned the loss of progress. Narcissa began trying to push for engagement, like everything was all right, until Hermione had to tell her privately that it wasn't. He wasn't. And the biggest sign yet occurred that morning. Scorpius refused to sign. It made for a horrible day for everyone around him, including herself. Goldstein had notified her that he was finished working on her wards the day before, and Hermione was fully cleared to return home. But how could she now? Hermione wrestled with the decision all day, but she found her answer when Scorpius took to the outdoors in his pajamas, ignoring Catherine's call for bedtime. She and Draco had plans as part of their... Well, Hermione still had no name for something they had only done twice before due to the chaos occurring at the Ministry. Both evenings were nice, even if it colored their worries for his son. Instead of a stroll across Albert Bridge for a night view and conversation... They watched Scorpius lie on the grass in the middle of the garden, his chest rising and falling slowly as he inhaled and exhaled. 
A silent exchange rescheduled their plans. Hermione could feel emotions thicken in her chest at the reality of him struggling like this, but the quiet stress bleeding from his father stopped hers from cresting. Draco was every bit a strategist, methodical rather than intuitive. He had no solution to a problem he had no experience of handling, and she knew he was even more helpless without the proper tools. But she had them. Sometimes when I feel nervous or scared, when everything feels too big and I'm worried, I look to the sky and breathe. But clouds covered the stars tonight, even Polaris. The waxing crescent occasionally parted to allow some light to fall. It was nice, but without the stars, Scorpius was as adrift as a sailor who had lost their true north. He wasn't the only lost soul, either. Draco's hands were clasped behind him, his expression both thoughtful and puzzled. The closer Hermione looked, the more signs of tension became evident. The way he carried himself, the undone button and lack of tie. But the clearest sign was his hair, which looked tussled from his hands. Should I go to him? Draco sounded so unsure. I don't know what he's doing. Coping, I think. Hermione coiled a bit of hair around her finger. I'm not sure. Scorpius looked so small out there alone. The sight tugged at her, hard, growing more difficult to witness by the minute. Now that the warding has completed your home, I understand you were to return tonight. I don't want to leave while he's like this, if that's okay with you. The change in her added presence was new, and Scorpius knew it to be temporary, but it seemed counterproductive to leave at the height of his turmoil. I want to see if I can help him first, and, well, it's a little late for that walk, but I'm sure we can still find something to debate about. There was a pause as he shifted his weight from one foot to the other. You do have very strong opinions about how I organize the books in my office. It's chaotic at best, unorganized at worst. A weak smile tugged at her lips. Maybe a methodical act would relax him. First things first. Can you make us tea? If we're not back by the time you finish, bring a blanket and prepare to wait him out. He clearly found the request odd. What are you going to do? Improvise. Hermione pulled her hair into a high bun. I am situationally capable. Uttered with determination, the comment brought her to Scorpius's side. Hermione laid next to him in the grass, feeling it tickle her exposed skin as she joined his search of the sky. It was dark, and the breeze was gentle, albeit intermittent, carrying with it the ominous scent of rain. But it wouldn't storm, not tonight at least. How can I help? The question was low and careful, just between them. She sought permission to ask almost as much as an answer. Scorpius turned to her, akin to a physical blow. It struck her that in so little time, what started as a spot of trouble, had browned so badly. I may not know what you're feeling right now, but I do know something is bothering you. She noticed his intense focus on her. And that's okay. We're all just worried about you. Stress flickered across his frowning face. He lifted his hands to sign, but pulled them close to his chest, clearly torn, hurt by something invisible that kept him clam up. The ache in her chest worsened. It's okay if you can't tell us. We worry because we care, but I won't make you sign to me. It's always your choice, when you're ready. When you feel like you can. You know that, right? Scorpius nodded slowly. Good. Hermione gave him a patient smile picking a blade of grass from his hair. I did notice you were looking for the stars. 
It's cloudy, so you can't see them, but they're always there. Remember what I said before? A little hand found the sleeve of her shirt, and that was all the answer she needed. Breathe. Scorpius took an audible breath and exhaled, then another. By the third, he was shifting closer to shorten his reach. Relief made her head swim. It was tentative, but something Hermione held on to nonetheless. Hope ran eternal, and hers helped to remove the immobile feeling and allowed her to focus on the bigger picture. Scorpius was focused on her instead of the sky, seeking her out in small actions. Not as lost as she thought. When you're ready, we can go inside and I'll make you and your dad the biscuits you both like. The prospect intrigued him, but she was ready for the punchline. You can help. I'll even let you shape them however you like. That got them up and moving, entering the house hand in hand. Just as Draco was placing two cups of tea on the island with what looked like a glass of milk for Scorpius. Hermione directed the little boy to wash his hands, and he left with a nod, still very muted but responsive. How did you manage that? We're going to bake lemon biscuits. She sidestepped Draco to wash her hands at the sink. I bake pie when I'm upset. I thought it might work for him. Is that what Potter meant by sad pie? You remember that? Hermione dried her hands on a clean cloth with a mortified cringe. Well, yes. First order of business was to fish her recipe book from her bag. If Draco expressed any exasperation or amusement, it vanished by the time he took his seat at the island. Scorpius returned to her setting up with fresh hands and a blank expression. She missed his smile. But Hermione kept hers in place. With just tea, Draco had little to hide from her notice. He was watching. Lemon zest and juice, butter, caster sugar, egg, flour, baking powder. Hermione mixed the liquids, guided Scorpius step by step through the measuring and mixing the solids. And once combined and settled, they shaped the dough into little triangles, his choice. While the biscuits baked, Scorpius trailed after Hermione as she cleaned, helping despite appearing a little tired and needy. She waited until the triangle biscuits were done, cooled, and with a few consumed before making her next suggestion. Pick any book you want. Draco waited with her on the sofa, leaving a Scorpius-sized space between them that was filled upon his return. He presented his book of choice to his father first. "'Is this the story you want to hear?' There was still a gruff uncertainty about Draco. "'Where the wild things are?' He cocked a brow and looked at her. "'You're doing, I presume?' "'Correct, but only because it's Al's favorite, and I've read it to him a few times.' Scorpius had little reaction to hearing his friend's name, just more out-of-character sullenness as he handed her the book, his lips slightly poked. "'Are you okay?' The question stilled him. Hermione had a flashback to the very first time she'd asked, but unlike the memorable day in front of the window, he didn't break. Instead, his little body went rigid. Although close enough to rest a hand on him, Draco didn't. He only boldly observed. Comfort was uncharted territory only Hermione had weathered. Scorpius, meanwhile, took a breath that worried her and actually crawled into her lap, tucking the top of his head into the crook of her neck. It wasn't new, but Scorpius had only done it once before. Hermione accepted his weight, noting just how tense he was. Even when she wrapped an arm around him, he didn't settle. Scorpius wasn't himself, and Draco could tell enough to slide closer when his son stared at him. When he put his feet in his father's lap, he seemed a little more settled, but still not right. 
She started reading to quell the worry that was weighing on her. Draco rested a hand on Scorpius's ankle. As Hermione read, her eyes wandered between three points, the book, the child in her lap, and the man who was looking on and listening. The story progressed, and Scorpius did the opposite of what she had expected, tensing more instead of relaxing, listening instead of wanting to turn the pages. Something was definitely wrong. The list of possibilities in her head grew, but she couldn't pinpoint one, so Hermione read on as it became more and more apparent that Scorpius was not okay. He didn't want her to stop, given his reaction when she asked, pointing to the page as if to go on, as if he needed the distraction. Not that it was working. "'I have nothing now but praise for my life,' Hermione read carefully, struggling to ignore the deep breath Scorpius took. So sharp it made Draco pat his ankle in awkward reassurance. "'I'm not unhappy. I—' The tiny sob sounded like a cough. She froze, looking down at Scorpius, whose eyes were heavy with unshed tears. He pointed at the book, urging her to continue. But story time was over. "'It's okay.' Before Hermione could place the book on the table, he crumpled. She dropped it anyway— forgotten at her feet, in favor of gathering the little boy in her arms and holding him close as he cried it out. He let go of everything he'd been holding in, all while she mentally finished the passage that broke him. I cry a lot because I miss people. They die and I can't stop them. They leave me and I love them more. What was wrong with Scorpius was simple. One word that encompassed so many emotions and had thousands of faces that didn't look the same. One word that had a beginning, but no middle or end. It could be created, but not destroyed. Only shifted, flared, and dulled. Grief. There was no telling what sparked it in Scorpius. It didn't matter how well he had been in the months since she had last held him like this. There was still a hole in his life that he could only be filled by someone who was gone. He mourned the absence, and Hermione just held on to him. His sobs echoing in the quiet room. She tried, truly tried, but hearing Scorpius so upset, feeling him shake in her arms, it was more than sadness, a different sort of pain Hermione would never understand, could never ignore, not even if she wanted to. It tore her down and she surrendered, closing her eyes and losing herself in the deafening sound of Scorpius's grief. And though she felt tears stinging her own eyes, Hermione did her best to comfort him, even when her heart was being squeezed too tight. She felt a familiar helplessness, one that wanted to take it away, but she couldn't, and more than that, she felt overwhelmed by the true depth of sadness that he opened up before her, unmoored, alone. But she wasn't. How long before she remembered Draco's presence, Hermione had no idea. She opened her eyes, and there he was, moved to his knees in front of her, looking carefully blank, torn. And strangely enough, knowing she wasn't the only one who had lost themselves to Scorpius's misery calmed her and helped her focus. Scorpius also noticed his dad. His face was still red, wet, and miserable, but he rested his head under her chin. "'It's okay to be sad, love.' Scorpius took another shuddering breath as Hermione wiped his tears with her thumbs. A fruitless attempt is more felt to replace them. "'You don't have to keep it in.' It happened slowly then in a rush that left Draco rooted to the spot, staring at his son, who had unexpectedly reached for him, seeking a connection that brought them face to face, eye to eye. This was it. 
Draco's chance to build on the foundation he'd only just created. A chance to be more than a figure. A chance to be the person Scorpius sought for comfort. And he took it. Not with an overt gesture, no, he wasn't the sort, but with quiet acceptance. It was hard to tell if Draco drew him forward or Scorpius leaned into his embrace, but one second they were staring at each other, and the next Draco was hugging him, holding him in a way that was as unsteady as their bond, but it held true as the little boy gripped his dad's shirt, fully scrambling out of her arms and into his. Time passed as it always did, with Draco staring at the top of his son's head, his face a blend of emotions. Hermione allowed him the privacy to feel without her analysis. Scorpius spent it with his head over his father's heart, holding on tightly as if anxious about being let go. There was nothing to worry about. Draco wasn't letting go. Instead of more tears, Scorpius calmed, breathing in the comforting presence he'd needed all along. His father. Draco slowly moved from the floor back to the sofa, looking bewildered and overwhelmed, but there was also something content about him now, settled. Hermione excused herself to give father and son space, but Draco's hand on her knee kept her in place, his request for her presence echoing in her head. As she acquiesced, the only way she knew how. Scooting closer, she placed her hand just above his on Scorpius's back. His breathing was slow, deep, and even though his head was turned away, Hermione could tell he was awake by the way he kept adjusting his grip on Draco's shirt. Do you have anything of hers he can look at? to help him remember. I do, but my mother doesn't think he's old enough. Something shifted. If it was a change in his attitude or in the air, Hermione wasn't certain, but his jaw worked as he adjusted Scorpius in his arms. There was a moment where he seemed to waver, but then his shoulders relaxed. Hermione knew the look, having seen it so recently. A decision had been made. I'm done. What? Draco rose to his feet, maneuvering his son in his arms, and Scorpius turned his head, looking puzzled, but bleary-eyed. Reflexively, Hermione stood as well, curiously staring at the impassive man who waited for an explanation that never came. He started toward the stairs, and she followed, eyes on Scorpius, who had a thumb in his mouth and an arm around his dad's neck. They passed Scorpius's bedroom, but didn't quite get to the guest room she'd been staying in before Draco stopped at a door she must have passed so many times without notice. It appeared as if by magic. Before she could utter a question, Draco opened the door and wordlessly entered until she remained in the doorway. She knew to stay. It looked like a storage room of sorts, stacked boxes here and there, rolled up rugs piled in different corner. Puzzlement about the room's identity gave way to clarity after she spotted the telly on the floor. Astorias, or the remains of what had once been her room. Draco carried Scorpius to a portrait that was as tall as the little boy in the back of the room, angled and too far away for her to see. After putting him down, Draco kneeled next to him. She just knew what they were looking at. Or rather, who. Scorpius reached out, and Hermione looked away with a shock of understanding. Feeling and insight colored the moment deepened its hues, and set it apart from others before and after. His mood swing was a product of grief, but one clear subsection was his inability to remember his mother's face. She left to give them both time, but Draco's last murmured words caught her. "'Whatever you want to know about your mother, I'll tell you.' Tears returned, 
not of sadness, loss, or even relief for Scorpius, who needed this promise from his father more than anything. Hermione had certainly shed many tears bearing those descriptions, but not these. The tears she quietly wept were the results of being overcome with emotion. Overwhelmed by the process of piecing together lines to form an incomplete story of how they all got there. It was a story with no winners, no heroes, no stars. Ugly and tragic. Sad and lonely for all parties in different ways, some worse than others. But one person's pain never outweighed another's. And through everything, there was love in all its multifaceted glory. For Scorpius. Hermione found it all bittersweet more bitter than sweet, but it still managed to take her breath away. By the time Draco emerged alone, Hermione's eyes were dry. She'd taken down her hair and sat on the floor, legs crossed, her head resting on the wall. "'How is he?' she asked without looking. "'He seems better, looking at his mother's portrait. "'Do you think he'll talk to her?' "'No, he can't. Astoria's portrait is mundane.' It was a last act of rebellion against my mother after demanding she commission one, as per tradition. She thought Scorpius wouldn't move on if she... was always there. It seemed Astoria had considered everything before the end, even how much she would be missed by the one she loved the most. Draco sat next to her, knees bent. There was something calm yet unsettled. Hermione couldn't fathom, but theorized that it was his calculating mind processing information rapidly— and plotting. Your mother was firmly against the idea of grief counseling, but is firmly against the idea. His correction was sharp and acrid bitterness in his voice. Even though therapy didn't help me, I have a different school of thought for Scorpius. He's young. Armed with proper coping mechanisms, he can thrive. I'm doing what I can, but moments like this remind me that he needs more. Easy to forget when he's in a better mood, when he's happy and smiling. But grief is... well, you know how it works. I do. His quiet words held weight, reminding her that grief was an old foe of his. Draco had to know what it looked like. He'd seen enough of it over the years. Scorpius emerged from the room and carefully closed the door, looking calm and content. The peace he exuded was indescribable as he squeezed into the spot between them, mirroring her position while resting his head on his dad. Better? He raised his fist and answered, Yes. August 5th, 2011 The key to having difficult conversations was approaching the topic with a well-thought-out goal and being prepared for an array of reactions. Timing was important as well, which was why Hermione considered calling off the entire discussion after noting Narcissa's mood at breakfast in the form of a snippy comment to the retreating form of Saxe. She and Draco exchanged a look over the top of Scorpius's head, Yes, there were signs of trouble, but not enough for them to reschedule. Scorpius stared at his grandmother, not breaking eye contact, even when offering his father a forkful of eggs. Scorpius had no problem sharing, but Draco had opted for tea in place of breakfast. Clearly, his son didn't approve of the decision. Still, he didn't refuse the offering. Hermione quietly insisted Scorpius finish his smoothie as she began planning for lunch. He would be hungry. When Scorpius finished, he completed his routine of bowing politely to his grandmother before approaching Hermione, who accepted a warm hug. Things were returning to normal after a week of turmoil. She was glad for it and felt better about returning home. Before Scorpius could present himself to his dad, Draco cleared his throat and excused himself from the table. 
tossing a bewildered look at him. Her confusion quickly morphed into surprise. Draco extended a hand to his son. He wanted to walk him to lessons. "'Ready?' Scorpius nodded and left her side, approaching Draco and slowly slipping his hand into his father's larger one, peering up at him with the shy adoration only a five-year-old could manage. As soon as they were gone, Hermione shook the smile off her face and picked up her wand. Time to get to work. "'Before you ask, I feel quite fine this morning.' "'That's good to hear.' but Hermione didn't get a chance to further engage her in polite conversation until Draco's return, as per their plan. Narcissa rested back on her chair. Her posture was as crisp as her periwinkle robes, but the older witch was staring at her with stony scrutiny. "'I am aware that you and Draco intend to speak with me about adopting a muggle practice into my current care plan.' Hermione was floored, but quickly regained her footing. She shouldn't have been surprised— Narcissa didn't get where she was without keen observational skills, and when the opportunity arose, she already had the words arranged and didn't mince them once bit. What would have been overwhelming to most was not to Hermione. She was prepared. "'I have nothing to say on the matter to my son or you, Miss Granger.' "'Healthy and strong communication is key to your care, which means we need to talk about this.' Hermione placed her hands in her lap. Patience was the theme of the day." and given the subject of their conversation, she already knew she'd need every bit of it she could muster. "'I would appreciate it if you would listen to what we have to say, and I promise we will do the same. But first, you should finish your breakfast.' Narcissa did, but at her own pace, just like everything else. There was something lurking in the quiet glances, and the slight tremor she tried to hide. A current of unease colored her demeanor. It kept Hermione on guard, but she was better versed than ever in the language of Narcissa Malfoy, and understood her little tics. The very obvious cues indicated Narcissa wanted to speak. To her. Directly. Draco hadn't returned, which was likely why she seized the chance by placing her fork on the plate of her half-eaten food, and leveling Hermione with another one of her looks that could cut through steel. "'I may be sick, but I am not blind.' Narcissa tapped a fingernail, much like Draco did when he was restless. She had a feeling it meant something else to his mother, but she held her breath regardless, mind racing at the prospect of a conversation she was not yet ready to have. "'I know you are the reason Draco has been increasingly persistent about everything!' Hermione waited with bated breath, but when there was no mention of their shift to something, she exhaled in relief, making certain not to show it. I hardly think I can persuade him to do anything he doesn't already want to do. Perhaps not. There was a distant quality to Narcissa's voice. You have been filling his head up for months with ideas that go against our culture. Not only is it not your place, but you don't understand the concept of it's not, nor will it ever be my place to dictate the relationship between a father and his son. Hermione held her ground for what was shaping up to be quite the dressing down. "'You're trying to evade, and I won't let you. "'I'm not the person you want to argue with. "'He happens to be upstairs and will return soon. "'I refuse to speak of and for Draco in any hypotheticals "'to make assumptions without him present.' "'Draco, is it?' Narcissa looked vaguely surprised. "'That is an interesting change.' "'We aren't here to discuss that. "'I only want to talk to you about a treatment option "'we have both thoroughly researched.' one that you continue to resist without explanation. And both of you should respect my wishes. 
or you could actually explain your wishes to me in detail. I'm more than willing to listen. Hermione sat back in her own seat, mirroring her patient's stance. When I became your healer, you wanted time, yet you rejected the most effective treatment plan. This leads me to believe that either you haven't been honest about what you want, or it's changed. I want to understand. Maybe I don't owe you anything. Perhaps not. Perhaps not. The sharp knife of Draco's voice cut through the building tension, making them both turn their heads. He stood in the archway, filling the space with his burning glare focused on his mother. But you do owe me. Hermione watched as he approached with confident steps. She had a hard time looking away, but she managed, turning back to Narcissa as she assessed her son with a critical scrutiny. His blank expression transformed into one of patience when he sat at the head of the table, waiting. For the right moment or words, Hermione didn't know. She caught his eye momentarily and looked down at her empty plate, but not before Draco rested his elbows on the arms of the chair, linking his fingers together in a clear invitation to begin. So Hermione did just that. I'd rather not argue needlessly, Narcissa, so I propose an open dialogue. As we've discussed many times, I'd rather not. We've established this, mother, Draco said with a careful crispness, as though the words were edged and he had to be careful extracting each one. I have theories about your reasons, but you're the only one who can explain. A perfectly reasonable statement. It was the most she'd heard him talk to his mother in months, outside of arguments. Her internal wince was instinctual, even though it never made it to her outward expression. Research shows that potions, in addition to muggle medicines and therapy, both occupational and physical, would be the most effective course of treatment. There is time to begin and make additions. I have a list of excellent therapists in the area, and a squib doctor willing to start you on— You've wasted your time with this research! Draco said nothing, but appeared to be a close call. Why? Hermione took the lead. Narcissa, the only way to effectively communicate is to actually communicate. I've been stating my case with you for the last few months, as has Draco. Now it's time for you to state yours. Narcissa looked like she'd rather chew on sawdust. I don't trust muggles. That I won't deny. She looked right at Hermione, issuing a challenge. One Hermione didn't accept. I'd like to know why. I know I appear aloof. Narcissa addressed them both. I am sure you think I am keeping myself too busy to avoid what is happening to me, but I assure you I am not. I have read your care package cover to cover, Miss Granger. I reviewed each suggestion for muggle medicine in that package and have made specific inquiries regarding how they work and what they'll do to my body. Your plan involves medicines that treat the symptoms, not the cause. And while I'm aware my disease is terminal, your course of action is not worth the cost." What cost? I have seen what muggles do with their medicine. It is practically poison in a bottle. Some treatments have side effects that are worse than the disease. I would rather not subject my body to the mercy of their medicine. Draco's reaction to his mother's statement was immediate. He was rendered speechless. Hermione knew better. It wasn't a good idea for such a silence to linger any longer than necessary. After rapidly arranging and organizing them, she chose her next words carefully very aware of the game of chess they were playing. There are also side effects with your potions. Precisely my point, 
I have side effects from my current potions regime, yet now you want me to suffer through more to take some muggle medicine that still will not cure me. No, I refuse. I am dying. Narcissa pursed her lips, an expression that spoke volumes about how difficult it was to utter the words out loud. Narcissa shut her eyes for a moment, steadying herself. I have no control over that, but I do have the ability to preserve my dignity and autonomy for as long as possible. This is my decision to make. I understand. I do. As painful as it was. But why not therapy? Occupational and physical therapy are used in conjunction with other treatments and have the potential to significantly improve your quality of life. My knowledge was limited when I first started, as you know. I'm not a professional in those areas. But I have done copious amounts of research into the matter. They have tried and tested methods for your condition. And it's not just for you. It's for Draco as well. Wait, what? The wizard at the head of the table looked extremely confused. I wasn't made aware of this. Of course it's for you as well. Hermione looked at him. She has a palliative care team, yes. But you need to know too. Draco blinked and she let him process her statement, returning to Narcissa. Occupational therapy, at the very least, will help figure out a common language of care. As for Draco, it's purely for his education. They can evaluate your home better and make suggestions that will benefit you as your disease progresses. Furthermore, while I believe what we've accomplished through gardening does help, they can pay better attention to your strengths and weaknesses both now and in the future. During her speech, Narcissa grew visibly irritated. Not nearly as bad as Draco, but close. I don't think you understand how difficult this process has been on me. Her bitterness was clear and understandable. Expected, even. It was normal to feel shock, sadness, anger, and helplessness. Coping with dying was conceptual in nature. A multifaceted process that challenged everyone and everything, even Hermione. No, I don't. Hermione's gaze stayed steady on the vulnerable woman sitting across from her. I won't understand until it's my turn. There is so much you keep to yourself that no one can even begin to try and understand. But you hired me to provide the best care. Medication aside, I— And if your plans for muggle therapies are ineffective, what then? We keep trying. No! Hermione started to speak, but hesitated upon seeing Draco, who was looking at his mother with such incredulousness that it stole her breath. Narcissa didn't notice. Her focus and attention remained on Hermione. What you're saying is that due to additional side effects, you're not willing to take the best option. Not a question, but a statement. Narcissa looked at her son, bold as ever. That is exactly what I am saying, Draco. Hermione knew in that second the discussion was about to catch fire in the worst way. The tension was suffocating, taut. Silence grew like flames she couldn't put out. There was a furious glint in his gray eyes that couldn't be ignored. She knew that look. Draco was about to snap and lay waste to the conversation. Today it was more than him spoiling for a fight. This was a long time coming. Hermione considered stopping him, seizing the reins, but she didn't. Instead, she watched him remove and fold his glasses, placing them on the table. Draco was firmly in control of himself, that much was clear. But there was something potent, not quite anger, but definitely not apathy, rolling off of him in building waves getting stronger and stronger by the second. It was far more overwhelming than the discontent still flowing freely from Narcissa. 
why make him keep something inside that so clearly wanted out? Hermione braced herself for the heat. She didn't have to wait long. I have done everything you have asked me with little complaint. Though subtle, there was no mistaking the sharp edge in his words, crisp enough for his tongue to carve out every syllable. Just once! The crack in his voice made Hermione wince, but then he stopped, pulling himself together the same way Hermione had seen Scorpius do before, and she found herself wondering if this was a learned behavior, or if it was intrinsically him, a trait he'd passed along to his son. Draco! Narcissa said his name both as a sigh and a whisper, something that would disappear if she tried to touch it. But that was all it took for the manifestation of last night's shift to come spilling from him in a torrent. He likely couldn't have stopped himself even if he tried, and he didn't. I've spent months since your diagnosis trying to save you. When I realized I couldn't, I dedicated my time to figuring out the best option to preserve your body and mind for as long as possible. Countless hours of research. Dray, he wasn't allowing any interruptions. I created a theoretical potion to combine your current doses into one to maximize the benefits. I've even gotten Granger to agree to try it, but you don't have the fucking decency to put forth any additional effort. I don't know why I bothered investing my time, when you're intent on wasting everyone else's. I'm... Draco stood abruptly. Unconsciously, Hermione raised her hand to stop him, but he was too far out of reach. Then Narcissa was on her feet. You have no idea what this has been like for me, Draco. None! Narcissa's clenched fists were shaking at her sides. There are days I wish I did not wake. Some days I wake and I do not remember anything for several minutes. I have moments... She trailed off, taking breath after breath, trying to grasp control of herself. Hermione didn't move, just let her speak. Finally. I have spent months trying to cope with the fact that I am dying, and I have little say in the matter, and even less control over what will happen to me. One day I will leave and not return to myself as I know it. Yes, the symptoms are better, but nothing will stop this. I will still forget, and one day I won't remember anything. I will still have tremors, and they will worsen. I will still end up in rooms and places I have no recollection of going into. And no matter what, I will still... Narcissa paused with difficulty. Draco, I have done everything I can to remain normal through it all. I am owed this bit of grace and dignity to choose how I decline. No one is asking you to maintain normality. Hermione kept her tone neutral. Normal is finished. You are in an entirely new world now. And you need people. You need Draco more than anyone. I know that's not what you're used to. No, it's not, Miss Granger. I have to admit to struggling, and you both want me to give up more control. It's not about controlling you. Hermione placed her hands on the table placidly. This is about protecting you, keeping your body strong, while my mind continues to deteriorate with no hope for reversal. Mother. Fine. I will take your treatment option. Hermione's heart leapt in her chest too soon. Narcissa wasn't done. But only if you take remarrying more seriously, Draco. Attend marriage dates. Officially court one of the witches on the list. You don't have to like her or even make it official. Just make an effort. Draco visibly recoiled, first in shock, then in anger. Fury. You're actually trying to negotiate this. You want something? Narcissa folded her arms. Well, so do I. He shook his head in disbelief. You're negotiating my marriage over your quality of life. 
Are you? Draco's face went perfectly blank, chillingly so. No, you're not. I am not. The atmosphere between them devolved. Hermione remained helpless to do anything except watch. This was not her fight. You've always wanted things done your way, only bending for tactical reasons. It wasn't his quiet ire that made a shiver race down her spine. It was the dull, humorless chuckle that followed. And you wonder why we fight. I have been through every step of this alone, because you can't stand the sight of me. How can I? Draco's question was brutal. Narcissa rocked back on her heels as if taking a physical blow. And he wasn't done. You have pushed duty so far down my throat that I am suffocating on your expectations. I've done everything you've ever asked, right down to marrying someone who would never— Draco clenched his fist to force back the words. I have done everything you wanted at the expense of Scorpius and my own happiness. Now that I am free to do as I wish, you tried to bargain my future against your life. That's not what I said. No, but it is what you meant. Tiny hints of trouble that were evident in the smallest of his actions— You'll only agree to Granger's plan if I trap myself in another marriage of your choosing, because of property. That is not it, Draco. That's all it's been for you since the war. Saving face. Damage control. Rebuilding our family's name. You tell the world stories of a mother's love, but you don't give a fuck about me. That set her off. That is simply not true. Everything I've done is with you in mind. I built this all. I don't want it. I never wanted it. They can all hate me for all I care. You and our wealth and influence are the only reason society tolerates me. You know this and willfully ignore everything. You parade vapid witches in my face like I'm a prized possession. That I am a man, Draco's voice thundered. I'm not. I don't want you to be alone. Narcissa's voice was hoarse with emotion. That's why I want you to marry. There will be a time for love after, if that's what you want. But I'm begging you to do this. Give Scorpius a mother. I'll be gone and you'll be alone. I am alone. I have been alone. And should I do as you wish, I'll continue to be alone. The heaviness of his confession struck Hermione like a lightning bolt, and pain rumbled in her chest. She batted an unexpected tear away and looked down, head spinning and eyes blurry until she swallowed her feelings, locked them away. Narcissa looked as if she'd been slapped. "'You chose to marry Astoria. You both—you didn't give her family a choice. You didn't give anyone a choice. You were so hell-bent on making an example of them that she was forced to condemn herself to a life she didn't want.' with him. There was a magically binding contract that existed between you and Daphne. She broke it. Narcissa was not backing down. I was well within my right to enforce action with regards to... You were within your rights, yes, just as you were in your right to arrange my marriage. But not once did you think about how your actions would affect me. You only thought about your pride and your mission to recover our social standing. You've let the public's perception warp you into thinking you're a good person, when you are no better than— If this is how you think of me, then you should not be concerned with my wishes, Narcissa spat. Or me. You're right, but you're still my mother. Draco looked away, his jaw working and shoulders tense. At least have the decency to admit that you're giving up. 
I merely wish to have control. You accused Astoria of giving up when she elected to stop her treatments, even though it was clearly no longer working. Hermione went stock still. As if you ever had the right to judge her. Now you won't be afforded the kindness and dignity you never once gave her. Narcissa's anger bled into something else, and Hermione knew that look. Regret. Remorse. Astoria did everything you wanted. She tried to be a doting wife when we knew where her heart was. She gave me a son knowing it would kill her faster, and your way of thanking her was to hire end-of-life care. The weight of his words was palpable, raw, and fierce. You called her weak, but she was the strongest woman I knew. She survived four years through sheer strength of will. Not once did she give up. Not even at the end. Hermione had never heard him speak words like this. The dam had let loose and Narcissa looked swept away. Draco, I... You disrespected her in life and continue to do so in death with Scorpius. I have my faults in this. I should have done more and been present. He ran a rough hand through his hair. I'll hopefully find redemption by being a better father to him, but I won't bear responsibility for you any more. I can admit, in hindsight, that I— Narcissa was visibly struggling. Then she seemed to notice that Hermione was still present. We should continue this discussion in private. She sounded so exhausted, but her hands were shaking. But there was no way to tell if it had to do with her symptoms or the situation. Draco looked directly at Hermione. Unlike a living entity— her complete and utter speechlessness at everything he'd said must have called to him. His instinct attached itself to that wire-like thread and reeled her in, or tried to. Hermione's head and heart were running wild in opposite directions, both going at top speed as one analyzed each word and the other felt every emotion. She rubbed her hands together, a coping method for when she got like this, a distraction that didn't work, not that it could be when the biggest one in the room was across the table— looking at her, inspecting her. Do you have an issue, Granger? Perhaps Narcissa is correct. This is a private conversation that you both need to have. Oh, I'm finished discussing the matter regarding her refusal for optimal care. Draco picked up his glasses and put them back on. I commend your effort, and will respect my mother's decision to decline with grace. Before Hermione could speak, his eyes slid back to Narcissa. You have made yourself perfectly clear today. So allow me to do the same. He sounded gravely serious. Scorpius is now under my care. Narcissa was in shock, and Hermione could only barely suppress her own. Draco, that is not proper. You have no idea. I will figure it out on my terms and do what's best for my son. You are not shutting me out. Narcissa took a step back. I understand I pushed him too hard. Miss Granger made that clear on several occasions. But I have made adjustments. Just because I will not comply, you are breaking from tradition and taking— This has nothing to do with tradition. Draco shook his head. This is purely about rearranging my priorities, in the order they should have been all along, with the top being the one person my wife loved more than her own life. Scorpius. I'm making peace. The look he gave Hermione took her breath away. I am atoning. And then he left. Narcissa's heartbreak was loud and clear, but remained unexpressed, hidden under the mask she wore. She smoothed down her robes, and when Hermione pulled herself together enough to stand, Narcissa held up a hand to stop her from saying anything. 
I am fine, Narcissa didn't sound convincing. This is just another one of Draco's tantrums. He will see reason. I'm perfectly fine. I'm... But she wasn't. A lone tear ran down her cheek, and more soon followed. For a long second, Hermione and Dean just stared at each other. His eyes went from her, to the overnight bag slung over her shoulder, and then to the sleeping child in her arms. Scorpius's weight made tolerable by a featherlight charm. Meanwhile, Hermione took in the sight of him wearing a colorful swaddle as he cradled a sleeping Halia close to his chest. They completed the cycle three times before he gestured her to come in. This is an unexpected development. Dean was obviously trying to keep his voice down so they didn't disturb the sleeping children. What? I'm sorry. He ran a hand over his face. I'm just used to Catherine bringing him. I offered. Draco wasn't back yet, and Catherine had been yawning all afternoon, the signs of a long day and even longer week. I'll just put him in the guest room. Come on, I'll show you. They both froze when Holly moved in the swaddle, making a small noise before settling again. Dean exhaled. She just stopped fussing. Did the potion I found work for her colic? Hermione followed Dean through the house and up the stairs to the first bedroom on the left. It did. She's not a great sleeper, naturally. Dean's smile was evident in his voice, too interested in the world to miss one second of it. The guest room was simple, but it was clear Scorpius was the only visitor they had. There was a bookshelf that was his height, and a few toys sitting on top of what looked like a toy box. After placing his bag on the dresser, Hermione waited for Dean to pull the covers back before she laid him down and tucked him in. She sat on the edge of the bed until he settled. Dean excused himself to put Holly to bed as well, and Hermione was still looking around from the doorway when he returned. Is he settled in? Yes, she gestured to the toys. Does he play with those? Not really, but he's beginning to pay more attention. Still prefers books or helps Daphne around the house or with Halia. He also draws with Albus and watches the telly with me. Hermione couldn't disguise her surprise. I know, but he likes football and I explain it to him. Dean chuckled with a shrug. He's keen on it. I've shown him other sports, too. Cricket, rugby, tennis. We listened to a Quidditch match on the wireless during his last visit, but I don't think he understands it without seeing it. I mentioned it to Malfoy, but he didn't say anything, which means he's considering it. Her quirking smile was reflexive. Of course he was. Dean caught it, but said nothing outside of a suspicious tilt of his head. Daphne's in her office if you want to say hello. Hermione did, and started to when she noticed Dean looking around. What are you looking for? We adopted a cat last month, and Cheddar is usually antisocial, but he likes— Dean was interrupted by a black cat strolling past him into the room, before hopping on the bed and purring as it curled up at Scorpius's side. Hermione smiled at the sight, and only when Dean cleared his throat did she look at him. He was giving her a curious expression that bordered on playful. What? Nothing at all. She rolled her eyes at the chuckling man who gave her a wave and went into the other room. The walk to Daphne's office was quick, but she stuttered to a halt in the doorway when she spotted Pansy sitting on the desk, looking mildly intrigued by the large box Daphne pointed her wand at. "'Did you get Holly down easily?' Daphne asked without looking. "'He did?' Hermione watched them both turn, smiles growing when they spotted her in the doorway. "'Scorpius is also asleep.' "'You brought him over.' "'I did. Draco wasn't back yet, and Catherine was exhausted, poor dear.' The two exchanged looks that might as well have been words. Pansy's eyebrows rose. And how does it feel to sleep in your own bed again? I haven't yet. Last night, she and Scorpius fell asleep reading in Draco's office while he worked on translations. 
Her brain was too tired to focus on anything. When he roused her, Scorpius was gone, and Hermione was too tired to flew home, so she'd stayed. Oh? Hermione didn't like how that one word sounded coming from Pansy. Tonight, I'll likely, if you think we're going to let the fact that you called him Draco, just know that we won't. Daphne nodded cheerfully in agreement. Gods, Hermione rolled her eyes. You're both ridiculous. It's not a big deal. We've been working together for a while now, and... Yes, yes, allies and all that rot. Pansy waved her hand impatiently as if batting Hermione's words away like annoying flies. She folded her arms, looking particularly thoughtful as she tapped her mouth with a finger. Although, I'm not certain what outdoor scenic walking areas have to do with alliances, but... What? Pansy's leer grew along with Daphne's interest while Hermione's confidence that she would escape the conversation sank. The look she received from her friend was a metaphorical gauntlet being thrown at her feet. It was up to her, but she had a few questions. How do you know? Hermione squinted at her. She certainly hadn't told anyone. I know how to read Draco's shitty handwriting, and I saw the list of places on his desk when I went to badger him at work. I put it together pretty quickly after I left. Hold on. Daphne raised her hand. Fill me in. I'm lost. Do you want to tell, or should I? Pansy tossed her dark hair over her shoulders. My imagination is quite... Draco and I are getting to know each other better. A prelude to dating is how he explained it. He's affording me time to consider the option. Wait! A visibly shocked Pansy held up both hands. Is he courting you? Daphne blinked so many times she must have been in some sort of trance unofficially? The two just gawked at her, their faces morphing from one expression to the next as they processed the shock of her words. Um, we're not telling anyone, so if you could keep this to yourselves, I know it might be a surprise maybe to you, Daphne barked out a laugh. I've had my suspicions. Shite, I owe Ginny ten galleons, Pansy smirked. But she doesn't know, so I'll keep my money. I'm going to ignore the fact that you're all betting on us. Pansy's shrug was unapologetic, and Daphne began laughing harder, but Hermione still felt awkward, given everything. I... is this going to be strange for you, Daph? Not at all. The blonde waved her way her worries with a flick of her wrist. You don't need my blessing, but if you want it, you have it. Draco deserves a chance to find his own happiness. Thoughts of the fight with Narcissa crapped up, and Daphne caught remnants of the memory, tilting her head curiously. What's going on, Hermione? A lot. She scrubbed a hand over her face. I'm in a state of information overload, and I'll only talk about it because you know why your sister couldn't love Draco. Pansy blew out a sharp breath. What she was implying dawned on Daphne in mere seconds. How long have you known? A week or so, and I'm... Hermione still struggled with it during the moments between waking and sleeping. I'm actually glad you're taking Scorpius for the weekend. Draco and Narcissa argued this morning which is honestly a bit of an understatement. Narcissa is at Andromeda's. Draco and I need to talk, and I don't know how this conversation will go, so I'm glad he's here. Now they both appeared worried. It started as a discussion about muggle care, but devolved into him airing his grievances, and... Hermione exhaled as both women cringed hard. It's been a day, but Scorpius doesn't know. We had dinner alone, and he seemed okay, if a little clingy. Two days ago he had a meltdown because he couldn't remember Astoria's face. Daphne looked away. He's fine, I think. A little fragile, but I think you should show him pictures. Talk to him about her. You, Draco, and... Theo. 
you all knew her best. Pansy laid a hand on the witch's shoulder while she nodded solemnly. Hermione checked her watch. I should go. Pansy approached her with a rare hug that was followed by a promise to discuss the newness between her and Draco at a later date. We will. Daphne joined them both, placing a hand on each of them, cutting her eyes to Pansy. Just like we're going to talk about how you had dinner with the Weasleys last night. That earned her a scowl. Wow, I just comforted you. The betrayal dinner, Hermione clung to the shift in the conversation. So soon after Harry's birthday dinner. This sounds serious. It does. There was something hidden between her words and her tone that felt ominous, like the first inklings of trouble. August 6th, 2011. A well-packed bag was important. Hermione combed through the contents of hers in preparation for their trip to the manor's greenhouse. By the time she had returned the previous night, Draco was already asleep on the sofa, and that morning, when she'd asked about keeping their planned trip, he'd only responded with a single terse word. Okay. It would have to do. Not knowing what exactly awaited them, Hermione packed everything she could think of. Trowels, empty pots, bags spelled to preserve samples, clippers, and two pairs of gloves. As it turned out, Draco was prepared as well, and casually dressed. In black, of course. Dragonhide boots, a shoulder holster, and gloves. It was just before dark when Hermione stopped out of the flu, and he waited for her in the armchair with a contemplative expression. If she had to guess, he'd probably been sitting there quite a while. Draco took one look at her and rose to his feet. "'If you're ready, we didn't get a chance to talk last night, and I know you and your mother have a lot to sort out, which isn't my place, but—' Hermione wrung her hands, feeling strange as she stood in front of him. Still, she met his stare. Well, I just wanted to say that should you decide not to help any longer, once I have the plants, I can continue alone. Several heartbeats of silence passed. For all the arguing to get you to— He glanced away, a short breath escaping him. Never mind. But Hermione understood what he was trying to say. Your mother is my patient, and as such— I am duty-bound by oath to provide the best care. My personal feelings, while I'm still trying to process them, aren't involved in this decision. And this, she gestured between them, won't impact my work at all. You were right before. We can't force her to do what we feel is right. I spent the day shifting my plans towards maintaining her quality of life, and I still believe this potion will help. Draco said nothing for a long time, eyes firmly elsewhere even as his gloved hand found hers. The feeling of puzzled bewilderment momentarily scattered her thoughts before they reformed. He looked tired, a bit brittle, not that he would confess as much. Hermione considered abandoning the trip, but knew he would see right through the act. Still, she did what she could in the moment, and held his hand in comfort, an act of solidarity despite the unspoken concern for his mother. "'I know this is difficult. It's inevitable.' Draco let go of her hand to retrieve his wand from the table, tucking it into his holster. Firm, yet even, his face was blank, save for a whisper of emotion. This is nothing new. Not even a year had passed since his last brush with mortality. Something painful swept across his face before he pulled it closer, tighter, then suffocated it out of existence. I'll walk this path with you. Draco's jaw clenched. Because it's your job. It is. The urge to say more was suppressed by her purposeful step into his space, ignoring the dismissiveness rolling off of him in pursuit of something more. The truth in touch and beneath words. 
Draco didn't retreat, but it looked like he might. Still, Hermione pressed, encouraged by the scrape of leather across her wrists. You're not as alone as you think you are. It was not the first time she'd uttered those words. Much like the last time, heat set her chest ablaze, and the warmth of the flames reached her face. Draco swallowed, his Adam's apple bobbing, thick in his throat. It might have been her imagination, but the way he looked at her right then felt like being grabbed tightly, with no room to move. But then his gaze skirted over her head to the darkening skies beyond the window. We should go. That was a good idea. Uh, how are we getting there? Hermione folded her arms across her chest, taking a step back to catch her breath. The Ministry has the entire area warded off. The area around the manor is warded, but not the entire property. I thought we would apparate close to the greenhouse and walk the rest of the way. Draco offered an arm, and she accepted with only the faintest argument. They landed in the clearing outside of the forest. The dying sun was still in the sky, blocked mostly by the trees, though they couldn't shield her from seeing the distant, magical dome containing the flames from the burning manor. Hermione looked back for a glimpse, but Draco never did, only walked towards the forest edge. Follow me. Hermione did ducking under branches and stepping over old, hollow tree trunks. As they moved deeper, the trees thickened, and their surroundings grew darker, pretentious. They took out their wands for light. It was brisk enough for her to feel a chill in the air, but not need a charm. The cold helped Hermione feel focused and aware, ever alert. She paid attention to the man in front of her, who never got too far ahead, and glanced back every so often to make certain she was there. When Draco stopped, Hermione stood beside him and looked around. This is it. This was apparently just the middle of nowhere, but Hermione had been in enough magical situations to not say anything stupid, even though it was on the tip of her tongue. Draco lifted his right hand, shut his eyes, and touched the empty space in front of him. Space that wasn't actually as empty as it appeared. The wards rippled like water at his touch, starting small and expanding as far and wide as she could see. A flash of blinding light was all Hermione registered before the wards folded in to reveal what had been hidden from sight for years. The greenhouse wasn't at all what Hermione had expected. Instead of grand and large, it was small and gothic in appearance. The decrepit glass panes didn't look strong enough to resist anything, much less the weight of the thick vines that covered the structure. Draco used his wand to cut a path through the high grass to the door, which pulsed gold, and only stopped when he took off one glove and placed his bare hand on the distressed wood. The old magic's admission came in the form of a gust of wind. Hermione breathed in the remnants, momentarily dazed from the hum of magic in the air. Draco glanced over his shoulder as the double doors opened. "'Are you going to stand there all night?' Shaking it off, Hermione huffed and followed him in, but halted just inside the doorway. Draco waved his wand to turn every light on as the doors magically closed. Not that she noticed, too busy taking it all in. Devoid of people, just them, but full of life. Much larger than hers on the inside. The vines, she quickly learned, weren't just on the outer part of the structure. They had climbed out of the earth and grew up the walls to the glass ceiling. The warmth was comforting, but the air smelled old, stale and damp. It felt like a piece of earth lost to time itself. Dust told the story of neglect, and Hermione listened, disturbed nothing while she absorbed everything. She slowly walked around, giving the space the respect it deserved. Time passed, and she gave it no thought. 
Hermione's eyes were everywhere as she inspected every plant, hanging and potted. She touched the trunk of each old tree, and ran her fingers along the leaves of the bushes. Dim light gave it a haunted feel that would stay with her long after she left. Protected by magic, everything thrived when all else would have perished. Beautiful in the way old, sacred things usually were. Comments? Hermione startled at the voice behind her, turning to Draco, who, in that moment, was trying to read her like a manual. Not for the first time, she stared back, more and more appreciative of the aesthetics provided by the vision of him, clad in stark black amongst a sea of greenery. Hermione allowed her eyes to take another turn about the room before returning to the man still watching her. It's beautiful. One beat passed. Two. Ten. Twenty. Take what you need. Draco excused himself with a nod. Retrieving her gloves, she moved to take a closer look at the pots on the tables. Some names she knew well. Others were rarities she had only been able to find through Blaze and Daphne, albeit already dried and processed. And a few Hermione didn't recognize at all. She opened her beaded bag and picked up one pot. I've heard of this. Brugmansia arborea. Angel's trumpet. Medicinal but extinct in the wild. Everything here is either extremely rare or extinct. Draco approached with one of the plants needed and squinted at the name scrawled on the side of the pot in her hand. He wasn't wearing his glasses, Hermione noted with amusement, as he deposited his plant into her bag. Then he did the same with the angel's trumpet, even though she hadn't asked. If Hermione had to guess, she would estimate that there were well over sixty different species of plants in the greenhouse. Not counting the dozens of hanging plants, or the six trees— one of which she identified as a very old olive tree. My mother labeled everything. She kept up the family's book of seeds. Book of seeds? Hermione filed that away to ask about later as she began her hunt for the next plant on her list, finding it quickly on another table. I wonder why your family kept everything here instead of putting it back in nature? Draco scoffed. So humans can destroy them once and for all? Your lack in faith in humanity is completely justified. Perhaps. Hermione shrugged, watching him survey the area. I think that, as a whole, humans are more than the sum of their parts. Yes, greed is the currency of the world. Yes, the actions of the few affect the many. But that doesn't define everyone. There are people out there who care. Like you? Draco turned to her. Even though it was a question, it didn't sound like one. Yes. Her voice was quiet, barely louder than a whisper. But there are more people like me who would love to reintroduce these plants back into nature. Whether or not you trust them, there are places that would rehabilitate or use the seeds to resurrect the species. In the magical world? And a muggle as well. Neville works with conservationalists regarding plants that are going extinct, rehoming them and even collecting their seeds to replant in places untouched by people. I think he would be interested in what's in here, but that's up to you, and not a decision for tonight. Let's find the Silphium. It's the last one. That was an easy enough task, thanks to Narcissa's labels. Draco picked it up, and Hermione made quick work of putting it into her bag for transport before closing it once completed. Ready? Yes. He looked around one last time, and the sight struck her. He likely hadn't been here since childhood. I'm ready. Holding the door open for Hermione as she stepped outside into the fresh air, waiting just outside of the ward's boundary with her wand lit. Once the protections were reset, the greenhouse vanished from sight, and she expected Draco to apparate them back to her home. But he didn't. 
I have to go check on something. There was a glint of steel resolved in his gray eyes. You are more than welcome to go back. It won't take long. I'll go with you. It was only after they left that Hermione realized she never once asked about their destination, but she found out soon enough. Fire. Admittedly, Draco wasn't a fan of it. He had a better reason than most to detest it, just as she paid close attention to the moon cycles and hated snakes. Yet there they were, standing outside the wrought-iron gates of Malfoy Manor, consumed by flames licking against the faint shimmer of the stasis wards. The fires could neither spread nor diminish. It reminded her of a snow globe, only twisted with ash and flames. Everyone knew about the never-ending fire, but never once had Hermione felt compelled to visit. When Hermione first heard about it, she considered it a fitting end to a home that haunted her thoughts when she allowed it to. But now... Now she wasn't sure how she felt. There was something about fire that both repelled and drew people in. So when Draco unconsciously reached for the wards, Hermione grabbed his wrist and brought it back to the space between them. "'Unless you want to trigger the entire DMLE to rush here, you shouldn't.' His glare was sharp. "'I happen to be an employee.' "'True, but you have no business or reason to be here tonight. They'll suspect you of something.' "'I am always suspected of something or other.' Hermione shifted under the weight of his uncomfortable truth. "'Why did you come here with me?' He glanced at his burning past. I didn't know where we were going. Would you have made the same decision had you known? Does it matter? The question lingered. I suppose it doesn't. I don't have a lot of good memories associated with this place, Hermione admitted quietly. Draco was silent for a few long moments. I used to. This was once his home, his legacy, where he had been born, where he grew up, and now he was forced to watch it burn. His family history was tainted by the same thing that polluted parts of everyone's lives. Darkness, war, death, reality. Hermione wondered if he was also tainted by the inherited guilt. While she stared boldly at the burning manor and took in the roar of flames, Draco seemed to only sneak quick glances before looking away. This was hard for him, but here he was. The war between nostalgia and indifference played out on his face something simultaneously vulnerable and hardened. Hermione's empathy rose like a flickering flame. Take as long as you need. But Draco stepped back and walked on. Hermione quickly fell into step beside him on the stone path that was nearly overrun by wild grass. No way of telling who reached first, but their hands threaded together without a word. While his focus remained ahead, hers drifted to the burning structure they circumvented with no named destination in sight. The ward stopped the spread, but it didn't stop the sound, and Hermione was amazed by how loud the fire was and the stillness surrounding them. It crackled and whistled and popped. There seemed to be a guttural roar, almost as if every part of the manor was exploding over and over again. It was disturbing and haunting, because everything inside, while destroyed, was also frozen. In time, in space, in memory... Their destination became clear as they moved down the path. The Rose Garden. At first sight, with the dim, floating lights and the reflection from the fire, the area gave off an ominous glow. The Malfoy Gardens looked less like a place where life had once thrived, and more like a graveyard. When they stood in front of the gate, looking up at the iron beams covered in roses that had taken over, Hermione's perspective shifted. No, it wasn't death. Only life. So much of it. 
It was just chaotic, covered with unhindered growth, and overrun with weeds. One might call it a lost cause, but Hermione, who never believed in such a thing, found it poetic. What was once neat and tamed was now wild and free. Terrifying, but no less beautiful. When Draco asked if she wanted to go in, Hermione accepted the offer, not at all surprised that he remained outside, casting a few spells around the garden's edge. She figured he was checking to see if anyone had been in the area recently, but couldn't be certain. It was hard to make out his mumbled words. Hermione left him to it, looking around. The more she saw on her walk around, the less she wanted to disturb the peace the plants found in the backdrop of chaos. On her way out, a rosebush caught her eye, and before Hermione could talk herself out of it, she took a cutting. It wasn't something she normally did, but she'd watched Neville do it once. With no books, the tasks proved more difficult than expected. The bush was stubborn, but in the end, Hermione tucked a healthy stem into her bag and made plans to try something new, something different. There was an odd thrill surging through her, an excitement that carried her back to Draco's side where he remained, occasionally looking towards the flames with his hands behind his back and a contemplative set to his shoulders. Do you know why it still burns? I'd imagine the fiend fire reacting with the dark object my father kept. It's only a hypothesis. But they both knew it seemed likely. The Wizengamot promised my mother they would put the flames out when they created this ward. Interesting to know, but the unfulfilled promise wasn't a shock. Putting the fire out didn't matter to people like Tiberius in the grand scheme of things. Only those who had something left in the rubble cared. Hermione listened to the dull groan of fire and watched the flames lick the top of the dome, curious about what would happen should it all be allowed to burn naturally. Not that she wanted to be around when that theory was tested, but as it was right now, there was something about the flames that compelled her to watch, compelled her to speak. It is beautiful in a way. You have a fucked-up definition of the word, Draco snorted incredulously. You can find beauty in everything, but all I see is my legacy in history, my present, my future trapped in a never-ending inferno. There's an irony that's probably deserved, but hard to forget. She wasn't blind, of course not, but this wasn't her identity trapped in flames. It gave her a different point of view. My idealism doesn't allow me to only see destruction. I see energy, life, the opportunity for rebirth. It reminds me of a phoenix rising from the ashes. I'm no phoenix, Draco stepped forward. I wasn't born in the ashes. My legacy will burn until that's the only thing left. Let it burn. Hermione watched the reflection of the fire in his eyes. You don't need a legacy to justify your existence or your worth. You don't need history to have a future. Easy for you to say. Perhaps it is. She didn't need to be any closer to feel the power of the ward's thrum. I don't carry the same weight you do. I don't have the same background and sense of duty. She wondered if he still did. You believe ashes, to anything except the phoenix, equate death, the end. But ash is the key to the process of fertilizing the earth to begin again. Now's your chance to grow something all your own. Something to pass on to Scorpius. Hermione felt the pressure of his gaze and turned to meet it. Neither spoke. Draco's eyes said something, though she didn't understand this particular translation of his language. And Hermione said what she needed to with a wary hand that went to reach for him in the darkness. But she hesitated, falling just short of the tips of his fingers as he returned them to his back in a move that made her wonder why he stood like that. 
It was a toss between not wanting to touch anything and making certain he didn't touch something. Draco didn't give her the chance to contemplate. He stepped forward to approach the edges of the wards. Hermione didn't know how long she quietly watched him stare down the roaring fire, never moving except to shift his weight. When he got his fill of the sight, when he came to whatever conclusion that allowed him to turn his back to the flames, they left. The process of setting the plants under protective charms was quicker than expected. Tomorrow she would need Neville to help her with the rosebush cutting. While she set up an appointment during his free time via the Magi scheduler, Draco went to her brewing room to check the quality of the rest of the ingredients for the experimental potion. By the time he joined her in the kitchen, Hermione was sitting on the bar stool sipping Ogden's. Draco's eyebrow lifted. Nightcap? It's been a week, don't you think? His lack of response was as good as an agreement. She gestured to the second empty glass and bottle. You're more than welcome to join me. According to some saying, drinking with someone else was better than drinking alone, but drinking with Draco Malfoy was something else entirely. It wasn't the first time, but unlike before, they were drinking the same thing, and it was hard to tell how alcohol affected him. Ron got obnoxiously friendly. Pansy grew maudlin. Harry, when asked anything, regardless of the question, would smile brightly. Ginny did whatever she felt compelled to do, and Daphne laughed too loud. There were other tells with any one of her friends, but not Draco. His default expression never changed, not even after two hours and four drinks. Meanwhile, Hermione knew he could tell she was getting pissed. Draco even cocked his brow when she stubbornly poured herself a third glass, because no one could tell her what to do. She hadn't eaten since lunch, and the baked bread and butter she'd consumed upon realizing it did little to soak up the fire whiskey in her belly. There was a different level of inebriation with wine than liquor. The former left her quiet and pleased with everything, but the latter crept up at the most random times and made her chatty, embarrassingly so, and warm enough to always want to be outdoors, which is where they found themselves, on a large blanket in the middle of the pasture with her drinks. The world blurred at the edges. It was pleasant, not too cool or too warm, and a nice breeze balanced everything. The quarter moon was dim, and the darkness felt rich. The stars were visible and bright. Hermione took in the expanse of the sky while tracing Ursa Major. To her horror, she blurted out the first thing on her mind. I haven't looked at the sky in months. I don't care for it, really, except to figure out where Scorpius's growing interest. Perhaps I could. Never mind. But Hermione hadn't had enough fire whiskey for his intent to escape her notice. He would like it if you joined us, I think. He probably would. Draco was silent for the span of a heartbeat. Would you? Only then did Hermione detect the slur of his words, confirming she wasn't the only one whose honesty intensified after a few drinks. Self-consciousness bled away, leaving her pliant and relaxed. I wouldn't mind. Perhaps we could actually use the telescope in your garden. It was Astoria's. His statement was the equivalent of being shoved into a freezing lake, Neither of us were interested, but she wanted Scorpius to know about the stars, and she never got the chance to show him. But it seemed it happened anyway. Because of her. Oh, Hermione stumbled over her next words. I, I didn't... I wouldn't expect you to know. He bent his knees and sipped his drink. But I don't want to talk about it tonight. I'd rather enjoy this in peace. I find it shocking that you can find peace here. Or anywhere. Agreed, since you refuse to shut up. 
Draco cut his eyes to her, but there was a small smirk playing at the corner of his lips. It had no effect on her whatsoever. None at all. Hermione glanced off as a mouthful of Ogden's burned away the lie. It's not horrible out here. His confession slipped out with fluid ease. Looking at him in pure shock, she caught another sign of his intoxication. The bit of a flush on his face was highlighted by the moon. Ah, so you are pissed. No. No way you would admit any of that if you weren't. Hermione smothered a laugh. It's fine. Your secret is safe. She lifted her head to the sky again, crossing her legs when she put the drink down and leaning back on her hands. I don't see how you don't like watching the sky. It puts everything into perspective, at least for me. It's like some moments everything feels so overwhelming until I look up and realize I'm just myself. I'm just one person in this endless expanse, and I can only do and be so much. Yet you try to do everything. That's my nature. Your nature is a contradiction. Draco's voice rumbled in the quiet. They were close enough for their arms to brush against each other. In one breath, you say you can only do so much, but in the next, you try to do everything. Aren't we all contradictions? Hermione knew all too well that Draco was most certainly one in his own right. Lately, I've realized it's an element of human nature. No matter how enlightened we think we are, there's always a battle between who we are and who we think we're supposed to be. The battle is the root of the dichotomy in our behavior. Who are you supposed to be? Unapologetically myself at all times, flaws and all. Draco continued drinking. Question for you. Hermione's body felt both heavier and lighter as she leaned against him. If everything were different, what would you do? Everything is as it is, so I cannot answer. Dare to dream. Hermione cast a glance at the man who had the glass to his lips while looking beyond. He had the foresight to bring the bottle, which floated next to him as if sitting on an invisible table. Who would you be without the war and your life after it? My father. His honesty rocked her. I'll amend that. She didn't dare ask about Narcissa. Perhaps in any other universe, the situation with his mother would be the same. If circumstances were different with the Ministry and the Death Eaters, what would you do? Draco was quiet for so long, she thought he might not answer at all. But he did. Ideally something with potions. You? If your seizure had never happened, who would you be? Even though she'd asked the question first, Hermione had no answer when it was turned around on her. Not at first, at least. It came to her in waves. In the ministry, most likely. Still fighting. She would be very tired. Hermione didn't know how to walk away from a fight. She had to be carried out. For a long time, I didn't know who I was going to be after. All that. And it's hard to think about who I've become without it. I... I don't think I'd be here. With you, Hermione finished in her head. Regrets? Honestly? She chuckled at her own question. Of course he wanted honesty. Hermione laid on her back, feeling flush. A few, but not enough to stop me from taking a moment to admire the view. A lazy smile curled her lips as the world swam. Are you going to Pansy's birthday garden party? By force. Draco drawled and while she couldn't see him clearly, she could hear his eyes roll. Hermione smirked. What did she have to threaten for you to get into Regency clothes? Her presence. It might have been the Ogdens, the ambiance, or the fact that it was his same response to Harry's threat, but she laughed out loud. 
The best part was when she craned her neck. She caught the profile of one of his very rare smiles. Staring boldly, the same thoughts from before clouded her mind. Oh, shite. Ah, so you are capable. Of what, exactly? Smiling. It vanished like the sun behind clouds, and his face went as dark as the sky before a storm. Draco glanced down at her. Do you think of me smiling often, Granger? No. The half-truth was poorly dressed as a lie. I do remember you having more of a sense of humor back— His expression morphed into one of gritty patience, ready to cut her comment into bits. But she could see the mistake before she made it, and she stopped herself before uttering the wrong words. Back before death and life. Before war and threats. Before the arrival of something that meant enough to break him if he lost it. He hadn't had many opportunities to smile over the years. Stomach churning, Hermione looked back to the sky, pushing away her thoughts. She barely managed not to jolt when Draco finished his drink and laid down next to her. His eyes were fixed on the sky with an almost bored expression, until he reached out and traced a constellation she didn't catch. "'What do you want to talk about?' "'Nothing.' Draco lowered his hand. "'But you're insistent on conversation tonight.' Our silences aren't always this strange, Hermione confessed, feeling utterly ridiculous by how jittery she felt. No more fire whiskey. I can imagine them with Theo, but right now, with you, I want to fill it with something. Anything not to think about his presence at her side, his warmth. Is that an intoxicated confession? His question sounded more uncertain than anything else he'd said so far. Hermione turned towards him, resting on her side. Draco watched every move. No, it's not. She pushed her hair off her shoulders, feeling hot. That would be something like, I don't care for my mother's cooking, or I don't hate flying, just heights. She'd been on the back of a dragon, a thestral, and hippogriff, admittedly under distress, but also without issue. What's the difference between the two? Draco rested his hands behind his head, appearing relaxed, but his knees were still raised. His casual attire and posture combined made quite the visual. It's impossible to achieve one without the other. That's not entirely true. Hermione moved her glass away to avoid knocking it over. In order to fly, you have to give up the ground you're standing on, and I have... Issues. The accusation carried heat. Control issues, he amended in a voice near a whisper. Hermione couldn't look away. Draco wasn't touching her, but she felt every bit of him. The air was charged as energy crackled around them. Hermione focused on the gray of his eyes, quietly comparing them to every stone she could think of. Pale, yet deep. Light tinged with darkness. Endless. There was a familiar hammering in her chest she associated with moments like this. One degree between close and too close, yet somehow not close enough. You would know about those issues. She tried to sound playful, but her voice was much too low. I would. You can't control everything, Draco. The breeze played with his hair, sweeping it out of place. Brushing it back would be an easy fix, but Hermione didn't trust her coordination, or herself. You can try, but there are always cracks. Something is bound to slip through. He made a low noise, but she couldn't tell what it meant. Draco's face was locked down, closed up tight, with a bit of flush staining his usually pale skin. He was nothing short of stunning, dazed and heady from the Ogdens. Hermione quietly wondered what was behind his expression. 
Unconsciously, she searched his face for a fissure to gain access to his thoughts, finding only one. Closer made her calculate if the dimension was right, too. Draco brought a hand up to her neck, ghosting a kiss across her lips before lying back. There, and gone before she knew it. I should— Hermione dipped her head for her own sample, a quick taste of him. The following moment hung, extended, and remained suspended in animation. Hand still on her neck, Draco's eyes stopped searching and dropped to her lips. Her hand on his ribs allowed her to feel the expansion of his chest on an inhale. No words, no analysis. The only truth and energy was exchanged in the shake of his exhale. A firm, slow hand wandered from her neck down the curve of her back and resting on the bare skin where her shirt had ridden up. It was Hermione's turn to exhale raggedly. Connection wasn't only found in touch, but in each of their senses, too. Combined with trust and freedom, it was layered in moments like this. Permission to create their own was granted with an imperceptible nod. Heady. Delicious. Draco's kisses were small and biting. Nothing beyond a taste here and there. The promise of more left her frustrated and impatient, and she chased his mouth each time he pulled away. And then, finally, he started kissing her properly, deeply, unconsciously dragging contented groans from her chest. The first one to escape him liquefied the butterflies in her stomach and replaced them with sparks of pure heat. The world both expanded and contracted to that very moment as they detailed the memory of touch, navigated sensation, and rediscovered the feel of each other. Their pace was unbearably intimate, fevered. Pain from bitten lips and clacked teeth, heat and want and everything in between. It was all assuaged by large hands holding her steady, slowing her, licking into her mouth and pulling back before she could reciprocate. With their foreheads pressed together and eyes shut, the sound of their heavy breaths filled her ears as they gave into the demand for oxygen. But given the alcohol and pent-up emotions spilling freely, it wasn't long before they were back to feeding each other's wants. It was natural, intuitive, easy. Simple to translate, understand, and communicate, they both spoke the language of want fluently. Beat for beat, breath for breath. The exhilaration of each caress reduced her restraint to ash. Turnabout was fair play, and Hermione gave in to the memory of his hands on her skin as she untucked his shirt from his trousers and touched him. The hard muscles of his stomach bunched under the palm of her hand, and Hermione almost laughed. She probably would have had Draco's lips not deterred from hers to her chin, and then down the column of her throat as she tilted her head back and saw nothing but stars. Oh, gods! Every nerve shrieked in alarm, but she allowed his push and pull until she was flat on her back, with the stars on display behind the image of a disheveled Draco hovering over her. The need for space presented itself in the form of one delicious graze of his hips between her open thighs, a move that left them sucking in sharp breaths in unison, heart pounding and senses buzzing, the mere promise and the evidence of want left her breathless. But he kept their hips apart in a show of necessary patience. Neither the rush of hazy kisses nor insistent touches compared to the clarity of the way he looked at her, open and honest. And as he hovered, watching, Hermione took a chance and invaded the small space between them, running purposeful hands down the length of his chest, letting her gaze make the journey across his face, 
She finally settled back on his eyes as tentative fingers came to rest on his belt, and a dangerously impulsive question. Do you want me? A hand stopped hers. The silent sting of her rejection had the same effect as throwing ice water on a candle. Everything just died. A series of motions brought Draco back to rest next to her, but she couldn't hear him over the sound of reality crashing down around her. Doubt, worry, insecurity. Hermione was traversing a slippery slope that left her sprawled at the bottom and feeling stupid for being so rash and presumptuous. Scrubbing a hand over her face multiple times, she tried and failed to clear her thoughts. Did, did I do something wrong? She was mortified by the question, but had to ask. She refused to assume. I just thought, no. Unable to find words that wouldn't come out slurred, Draco turned her head and kissed her deeply, giving her time to relax in the act, to soothe the stab of her fears. I want this. Trust me. His lips were still touching hers when his murmured words made her shiver. But not like this. Too much fire whiskey, an empty pasture, a starry night. The perfect storm of choices they couldn't take back. It was a testament to his patience, respect, and commitment to give her time. You're right. The truth did little to ease her disappointment. Her tone made Draco run a hand through his hair in visceral frustration. But Hermione pulled herself together enough to stay his hand and lace it with hers. Let's just watch the sky, she whispered. It really was lovely out. The stars were endless, a vast display of wonder and intrigue. Hermione blinked, trying to take it in with her head resting in the crook of Draco's extended arm. The Ogdens crept up on them one last time, and her vision swam. She yawned twice while focusing on his breathing, relaxing further into... And then there was nothing. August 7, 2011 When Hermione next opened her eyes, dawn was making its approach as light painted the horizon. The sky was empty, stars tucked away in the wake of a new day. She should have been cold, but she wasn't. Warmth kept the chill at bay. Still groggy, it took her a minute to register her surroundings. The arms around her, the legs twined in hers, the steady rise and fall of the chest beneath her cheek. Chancing a glance, she took her time committing the sight to memory. Draco was sleeping soundly next to her, carefree, peaceful, everything he wasn't during waking hours. All Hermione could do was stare, her hand still on his chest. Heat rushed to her face when the memory of last night surfaced. She wasn't standing on the precipice between falling and flying. No, she was embedded in the tender stillness of something in between. Quiet and reflective, the depth of the moment slowly revealed itself to her. Less like a shock, in light of everything that had happened recently. It felt as natural as the slow progression of the sun as it climbed over the horizon. Slowly, then all at once. They slipped briskly into an intimacy from which they never recovered. F. Scott Fitzgerald <laughs>